0: You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus, and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. My dad's very proud of me. My dad loves me. But growing up, I wouldn't say that I had a very competitive spirit. Which, for my dad, was hard for him to handle. Because when I won, I high-fived everybody. And when I lost, I high-fived everybody. When I won, I thought it was pretty good. And when I lost, it didn't really matter to me that much. Um, The experience is what I was out there to get. When I was playing football, which, you know... I know I've got a bunch of rugby people. You've been raised on rugby. And here's the deal. There's a beauty to rugby. It's like a violent dance out there. There's nuance to it. you got to hit someone hard, but you don't want to hit them too hard because you might break your own body. American football has none of that nuance to it, okay? But I thought that it did. I thought that I could dance out there, right? I thought that I could throw someone to the ground, and it was just as good as hitting them. But, come to find out, coaches, and my father as well, did not think that that was true. There needed to be more violence. Um, And when I was doing individual sports, uh, look, it was disappointing to lose, sure, but here was the difference with an individual sport, was that I prepared. I prepared alongside teammates, and then I went out there, and the only person I had to blame was myself, right? Maybe I needed to work harder, or maybe I just wasn't made to move that fast. Whatever the case may be. Nowadays, I still wouldn't say that I have a real competitive spirit, but there are some athletes... And here's another thing I don't do. I don't use sports illustrations, but I'm going to do it now. There are some athletes that I am thoroughly impressed by. Um, and I'll try not to get too graphic, but... Uh, Some people would call it mixed martial arts. These are where people get into this eight-sided ring that has a cage on it, and they hit each other as hard as they can until someone loses. That sounds particularly violent because it is, but you know what? I love it. I don't love it when I see a fight out on the street. I think that's awful. I love it when you have these trained Athletes that have worked their whole lives to get to this place. And then they're there. And they're expected to perform. And they have something that they're fighting for. They're fighting for honor. They're fighting sometimes for a golden belt. But it's is—it's intense. And I hate to say it, because it sounds like the least likely thing that should happen after one of these fights. But especially in an important fight, I cry at the end of every fight. Okay, maybe just some little tears here and there. Why? Because this person just worked so hard and they won and it's amazing. And this person just worked so hard for months and months and months, maybe a year or two years, and they lost and it's sad. And I feel that person's pain and I feel that person's joy. I don't have a competitive spirit, but I like other people that do. I do. And I like watching these fighters sometimes because they know what they're fighting for. They know what they're fighting for and they see an importance in it. All that to say, when we come to this this letter, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, there is something that he is fighting for. And as we're going to see next week, it's something that he's trained for multiple years to do. And he has worked diligently he has worked hard to understand the good news about Jesus he's worked hard to let it sink into his life and his heart he knows what's at stake when he goes out onto the mission field when he goes out to evangelize the entirety of Paul's life and mission shows us that he knows what it, that he knows what's at stake being shipwrecked multiple times being bitten by a snake, being stoned to the point of near death. He knows what's at stake. He knows what he's fighting for. And he knows that someone else, when they step into that arena to speak words that go against what Paul knows to be true, he knows that the battle is on and that he must step up and correct the wrongs that are taking place. Paul knows the seriousness of what's happening here. And we're going to see him use some very serious language today. Last week we talked about verses 1 through 5 and we said this is Paul greeting because it was a greeting. Greeting the problem in Galatia head on. Okay, greeting the problem in Galatia head on. And here's where we're going this week out with the good and in with the bad, how we turn from Jesus. Out with the good and in with the bad. We also talked about how we're going to walk through this letter in, in chunks and in pieces, okay? Chapters 1 and 2 is mostly historical. It's Paul saying what has happened. The gospel that he gave, and then what's going on with that gospel. And also the story of his ministry. And then, Galatians 3 and 4 is the theological part of it. Uh, This is where Paul is going to be making a heavy argument against these false teachers that are in Galatia And then lastly, the ethical portion of the letter. Or how it is that you now live inside of the salvation that you have in Christ. The life of the Spirit, if we wanted to say it like that. So let me me read for us um, our verses for this morning. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Let's go back for a minute. I'm going to start us off in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a nice greeting. But, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting, turning your back on and running away from Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... This is Paul with everyone who's with him. Probably Timothy, Titus, group of people. Uh, But if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary that goes against the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Heavy words that Paul starts off this letter with. When we read 1 Timothy, and he's writing a letter to Timothy, he gives us that nice little greeting at the beginning, and then he he gives us this beautiful rendition of the Gospel. And he, he expounds that, and he encourages Timothy with it. This is what he does in almost all the other letters, even to churches that are disobedient. Even to Corinth. He goes on and tells them about the beauty of the Gospel and the beauty that they have believed in it and the fact that they are saved and safe. And what does he say to the churches in Galatia? He says, I am astonished by you. I am astonished. We talked about it last week. It's it's as if a parent is saying to their children, okay, little child, don't go and do this bad thing that you know you're not supposed to do. Child goes, does the bad thing that they know they're not supposed to do five seconds after the parent says it. And the parent says, I am amazed. I don't even know how you could act so disobediently so shortly after I told you not to do that There's this tinge of frustration, for sure. Uh, There's also this little bit of just plain old disappointment. And yet, I think even in here, we're starting to see already, and we're going to see it in these verses, uh, a softening of the language towards the people that Paul is disappointed in. In some ways, he's excusing what it is that they're doing as well. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different Gospel. Who is it that called them? Was it Paul that called them? No, we just read it in the previous verses. It was the Father who, according to His will, wanted them to be saved. It's the Father that called them through Christ the Son. When we talk about repentance, what are we talking about? We're talking about being picked up and turned around, right? Facing the other direction. And Paul is saying here, you've done a reverse repentance on yourselves. You've actually started to desert and run away in the opposite direction of what it is that you've already been gifted and given. I'm astonished by you. And what is it that they're turning to? A different Gospel. A different gospel. Now, that can sound a little bit interesting to say it's a different good news. Well, great. It's still good news, right? (laughs) Not quite. Not quite. Anytime that we start to take the good news out of the good news, what does it become? Bad news, right? Out with the good, in with the bad. This is what Paul's trying to to get us towards he's saying, You are making the good news bad by what you are now being taught and believing um one theologian said it this way uh, just just hear the argument I think that he expounds paul's argument very well here uh, one through the fal okay through the false pro- apostles he perturbs uh or what does it say here? distorts, confuses, you could say. He perturbs and deceives many. What's more, that is, this is the false teacher, he takes advantage of them, attempting to tear down the gospel altogether. He manipulates the people uh, without let up until he achieves his objective, which is taking them away from the good news. However, nothing disturbs those apostles more than being called apostles of the devil. On the contrary, they glory more than others in the name of Christ and boast to be the sincerest preachers of the gospel. But since they mingle together the law and the gospel, they are in fact destroyers of the gospel. Because of this, take note, it's one of the two. Either Christ stands firm and the law perishes, dies away, or the law stands firm and Christ perishes perishes. Where the righteousness of the law reigns, the righteousness of grace cannot reign. Where the righteousness of grace reigns, the righteousness of the law cannot rule. One of the two must bow to the other. This is a good expansion upon Paul's argument here. These false teachers, uh, this theologian uh, uses a translation that says perturbs. Our translation says distorts the gospel. Older translations say perverts the gospel. There's some good reasons in the English language why we step away from that. But at the same time, what is a perversion? It is a total um, going away from what something was naturally meant to be. It's taking something that God made and calls good and turning it into something evil. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Not that there is another one, another Gospel, but there are some who trouble you, teachers, and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. They want to pervert it. They want to take what it actually means and to strip all that meaning away from it. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now Paul does something interesting here. It's a good technique. It's a good technique of argument where he says, this person deserves to be cut down by God, essentially. But you know what? I'm going to throw myself under the bus first. I'm going to put my own head on the chopping block first. If I did this, I should be accursed. If an angel comes from God and does this, they should be accursed. What does this word accursed mean? Um, Different translations and different people say it in different ways. Um, One of the the ways that you, you could honestly say is may you be damned, Paul is saying. That's strong language for someone that's supposed to be preaching the Gospel supposed to be handing out good news to say. Um, there's some other coarser ways that we could say it, but, but this is what Paul's asking for. Much like this David does when he's calling out curses upon his enemies in the Old Testament. He's saying, God should judge you right now because of your sin. And if He did that, you would go straight to hell. Paul is saying. And this is what Paul is saying should happen to these false teachers that the judgment of God should come upon them right here, right now. They should be caught up in their false teaching and they should get what they have coming to them. Sit with that for a minute. Sit with that for a minute because I don't know about you. But I don't often take the seriousness of the gospel that serious. I don't take it that serious when I hear someone, you know, make a joke or I hear someone that needs to clearly hear the gospel and I walk past them, right? When the reality is. When someone needs to hear the gospel and I have opportunity to share it with them and I ignore that opportunity, I might as well be saying, let you be accursed. That sin that you are currently living in, may you be living in it when Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead. And see what happens to you then. That is a grievous, grave, grave threat. I brought up this whole thing about fighters and knowing what they're battling for at the beginning because Christian, you and I need to know what it is that we are battling for. We need to know what we're battling against as well. One of the things that we're battling against each and every day, uh, it's what comes into our ears every single day. It's what many of our friends who are Christians Uh, It's how they shape their lives. One of the things that we're battling against is the false belief and false teaching that you can, with God's help, save yourself. Jesus alone saves. And as soon as you add anything to it... Look, we we would all probably make the argument... Well, you know, I mean, if we say that Jesus died for us, but we don't believe in the resurrection, then we don't really have good news, do we? Most of us would agree with that statement. Which is why we confess it each and every week, so that we're reminded of it. But would we always look at the little things that we expect from others, and that we even expect from ourselves, and say, well, you know what? God has empowered me in this situation to be living out a kind of righteousness that is pleasing before Him on the last day, whoa, we've just taken the work of our life and we've put it in the place of Christ's work for us. As we're going to see in coming weeks, that's exactly what these teachers are doing to the churches in Galatia. It does seem a little bit interesting here that Paul throws in angels. (laughs) I mean, what kind of angel would go against what God says? Satan, right? Satan and his demons. That's the kind of angels that go against what God has to say to us. And that's exactly the kind of, uh, the kind of, angel that Paul is pointing us to. He's saying, look, if I were to come to you or an angel were to come to you and teach anything but Jesus' death on the cross for your sins and your His righteousness coming to you, well then that is a demonic teaching that is leading people to the pits of hell. This is what Paul is telling us. As We have said before, now I say it again. Now, that was strong language. That was all strong language Paul's using. Maybe he made a mistake. Ah, We talked about this last week. When was the last time you hand wrote a letter? It takes work to hand write a letter. But maybe you said something in passion. He uh, uh, He doesn't have a rubber on the back of his quill. Okay, He can't erase what he said. Maybe he made a mistake. Let's give Paul another chance. Maybe that's not what he means. As we have said before, so now I say again. uh (laughs) Uh-oh. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel that goes against the one you received, let him be accursed. Christian, this also means for you and for me that... Look, look. Listen to other things on the radio. Read other books. Watch things on television. But, it would be safer for you to watch mixed martial arts fighting on television than it would be for you to watch the majority of television preachers. It would be safer for you to watch soapies than it would be for you to watch television preachers and hear the law and the Gospel being blended together to the point to where, as this one theologian was saying, um, Some people use the name of Jesus so many times that you couldn't believe that they wouldn't be a Christian. So what they're saying to you, that you must do this, this, and this to receive this outcome and get this in your life and to have this for yourself, clearly that person is a man of God and can be trusted. False. Anyone that is taking the name of Jesus and adding to it that thing that you must do in order to have the higher life and to have that life eternally, that person is sent from Satan to destroy your faith. I don't know, maybe soapies do that too, but I haven't watched them for a long time, so I don't know, okay? Okay. Now Paul gives us a little rhetorical question here. That is a question that doesn't really demand an answer, but we'll see. See if we can answer it. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Next week we're going to get into what exactly he is talking about. An example of a situation that he was in with the Apostle Peter where he had to answer that question for himself. Should I, please man, go along to get along? Or should I please God? And we're going to see the decision that he made and the decision that he calls Peter to in that situation. It's the same decision that he's calling these false teachers to that are going to hear about this letter. And it's the same decision that he's calling the believers in Galatia to when they read and receive this letter. He's asking them, do you want to please man or do you want to please God? And we already read in 1 John how it is that we are going to be obedient to God's call on our lives That is to believe. To believe on Christ's work on the cross for us. And in fact, Paul even says, if I were trying to please man, I could not be a Christian. I could not be someone that is out there serving in the name of Jesus if I was also trying to please men. Now, this is also a good reminder at this point to say, this went to a church, right? Paul's not calling us to go out and say, let you be accursed, let you be accursed, and you be accursed. See, I'm not trying to please men, I must be pleasing God. Okay, that, those two things don't necessarily equal one another, right? But within the church... Paul is required to please God and to not please men. What we do here is not necessarily pleasing to men. It might not even be pleasing to you some weeks. But what we do here by by receiving the good news is pleasing to God. What we do here by hearing that good news and, and preaching it and speaking it and reading it and singing it, by picturing it, This is pleasing to God. And when we let something stand in the way of any of those those ways that we receive that good news, we have turned away. We have perverted the true Gospel. We have turned away from Christ, away from His work, and we have gone to something else that we think is better news than the good news. One ancient theologian says, it is no light sin to transfer your allegiance from Jesus to the law. In fact, it is a sin that will lead you all the way away from God and all of His good gifts. Right now, what we want to do is we want to Take a couple moments, and we want to hear that good news preached to us one more time in the Lord's Supper. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lie it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. When we take part in the Lord's Supper together, we're doing lots of different things, actually. One of which is we are being recommitted to the Lord. Uh, We're being reminded of His blood shed for us and His body broken for us. We're being reminded of His death for us, and in that, always His resurrection, which we will share with Him. As we come to the table today, Um, we are reminded that this body and this blood is the only way to be saved. This body and this blood, Jesus's broken and shed for us, is the only good news that we have. That there is no other good news by which we can take comfort in, we can trust in, And to say that we, with God's help, could save ourselves is anything but good news. It is a heavy burden that Christ did not give to you to bear, but rather He took it upon Himself. He said, I will do it all for you. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.